Welcome to Tag Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara. One part small talk, all parts real talk. This is the part of the day when Ajit gets to know the people behind the job titles at Tag. Hello, welcome. This is Ajit Kara, Tag CEO for the Americas. Welcome to my happy hour. I decided to do this podcast to really spend a bit more time with some of my folks because those of you who know me know that I believe passionately that TAG's biggest asset is its people. What's behind them, what sits in them, and how can I spend time with them? So these podcasts explore a little bit more about our folks. Today, I'm delighted that Jen D is taking some time to be with us. Jen D works as our Vice President of Studio Lead for our Taylor James brand. And Jen? Cheers, Cheers, and welcome to my happy hour. Thank you for having me. Very <laughs> excited to be here. No problems. And the quality of the wine, how is the wine? It's top-notch, but that's to be expected. <laughs> I know that you are a wine connoisseur, so... I do like to drink a glass or two of wine, I have to say. Good. Who doesn't, right? This is true. This is true. Anyone in their right mind. Are you seasonal? I'm very seasonal with my wine drinking, so I am red in the fall and the winter and white in the spring and the summer. So it's not food-related, it's seasonal-related. No. no, I'm casual with my wine. I mix it up by food, by season, by anything, really. See, I go by body temperature. <laughs> if it's hot out, it's got to be white and cold. <laughs> My father actually, rather sacrilegiously, but some people say it's good, he, he would chill some of the red wine occasionally and have it slightly chilled. I have a cousin who does that, and it is a very big topic of conversation in our family because there are those who think that is criminal. Others that let it breathe a little bit. Yes, yeah. um, and others who think it's the right thing to do. So I think it's all about taste and preference, right? And what side of the fence are you on this refrigerating red wine? I am not on the side of refrigerating it, <laughs> which is probably why I keep it to my fall and winter tastes. But I'm, maybe I would switch because of that. I'm with you, though. I'm with you, though. I'm, I'm with you. A little bit more about you, Jen. So, you know, welcome to my podcast. Thank and you. I want to get to know a bit more about you sure. and what makes you tick and what's behind you. So first, let's start with you when you're a young child. So I think you were a military kind of lady. lady. Was, so was. was that in the Mokas around bases or did you travel around? Yep. So for me, it was very early on. Um, my father served in Vietnam. Oh, wow. And my parents had only been dating for a few months oh, my goodness. before my father was deployed. And so when he came back... I came along nine months later. <laughs> so my father hadn't quite been released from the Marine Corps at that point. So he was serving stateside after doing an 18-month tour in Vietnam. So interestingly enough, well, unfortunately, actually, um, my parents were in a pretty horrible car accident right before okay. I was born coming back to right. the base. And we're both hospitalized for the first three months for my dad and five months for my mom. So the Marine Corps actually flew me up in a helicopter to stay That's with crazy. my grandmother and my aunts. So I was raised by my grandmother and my aunts and my cousins the first five or six months of my life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then he was released from the military. Yeah, we moved a lot. When I was five years old, he said he had come back from Vietnam, became an undercover narcotics officer oh in goodness. New York City Police in Department. New York, in the 70s? Fort Apache in the Bronx. That, that the real that, deal. Wasn't that the uh, tough time? It sure was. <laughs> it sure was. He's a tough guy. Well, a hero. Yeah. Wow. And um, I think it just all kind of set in at a certain point. Yeah. He had two children. And I think the reality of what he had gone through in Vietnam and in the police force became too much. And he literally packed us up and moved us to Florida. So he did choose the, or maybe Vietnam wasn't choice, but he did choose the sort of hard road of careers. And your background's interesting. How did it inform you? Because I've always wondered, like, I'm, I'm a huge fan, by the way, of Jack Reacher. I've read all the books and seen all the films. And 
I love the idea of in being in military bases and traveling the world, et cetera. But it, that's my romantic view of the world. I suspect it's not as easy. But tell me, yeah. did that, how, how did that work for you or didn't it work for you? Or is it challenging with friends and family? And I think it was more so because we didn't move so much. There was more about my father will always tell you, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. Um, yep. There's a level of commitment and brotherhood that comes along with that, especially in a war-type setting that I think that's a hard thing to shake after. So I think he dealt with us sometimes in that kind of fashion. So while we didn't live in a situation where we went from base to base, we were definitely children of military because of yep. just who he was as a person and you know, came from a little bit of a rough background before that yep. um, as a child, didn't have the easiest of upbringings. And so we were... But I, want, but I wonder if it informs you, Jen, because you know, my observation is that you're very quick off the wit. You're quite fun and your outlook in life is about humor and et cetera. Does that come from that or is it just the way that you, you look at things differently? And I think I do look at things differently. Yeah, I think I'm the glass half full person sure. in the family. I'm the one who kind of has that tone and that attitude. And listen, I'm a firm believer in you do one of two things. You either replicate or you do the complete opposite. And I think it's very interesting when you look at families and siblings to see who replicates and who does the complete opposite. So for me, I'm a little bit more of a free spirit. Right. But it's funny because I do have that routine, regimented side of that. me, yeah, type see that. A personality. Oh, yeah, no, the team are all organized thanks to you. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that rubbed off on me for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And the father's experience in NYC. What was it like being the little girl of a father in the New York Police Department? Because I was talking to somebody else that wanted to be a police officer. I always wanted to be a police officer, and my father wouldn't let me. How was it being a kid with your dad in the undercover, did you say? Yeah, undercover narcotics. Wow. Yeah, serious business and serious tough guys. You'll never get away with lying, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> you learn as a child, your father knows everything. And I also remember very vividly, I was around five years old, and we were playing with boxes back in the 70s when everybody's curtains probably weighed about 100 pounds. You know, they were like velour. <laughs> but that's smooth. Yeah, beautiful, very smooth. <laughs> I decided to make a train out of it and oh, headed down a flight of stairs in my train. It didn't end well. No, it didn't. It ended with quite a number of stitches in my head. But the one good fallback was was that I was able to go in the police yes. car with the sirens on which and go right into the ER and was stitched up very, very quickly. So it worked out well. Well, it's lovely that you can say that you've been in the back of a flashing police car without the association of committing a crime. Well, that's not the question you asked me, <laughs> but that's the story I told you. <laughs> Maybe that happened later in life. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's wonderful. And that must have been tough on your mother, seeing your father perform all these amazing things for everybody else. Yeah. I always remember as a child, and you were saying before about kind of the glorification of it is of whether you're a soldier or a police officer, there is another side that is not glorified at all. Sure. I can remember my entire life waking up wow. quite often in the middle of the night with my father screaming, nightmares and PTSD, really hard PTSD. And so I think my mom really was the one on the front lines with all of that. So it's hard, that kind of commitment. I, we'll come on to another topic later, but I, I don't think there's enough focus on the fact that these folks that are in the front line across many different spectrums, they see and experience so much, it's impossible not to be affected by that. Yeah. And we need to provide them with more support and care. Yeah. And understanding. Well, interestingly enough, I think the journey of my life has kind of run parallel to where I think as I've become an adult or more of an adult, I believe you start to understand your parents in a different way sure. than you did when you were children. So I spent my teens rebelling against him. You become your parents, by the way. Well, I developed <laughs> compassion is what I say. But I have developed this level of compassion and understanding with my father. And then in my own personal life, 
journeys with mental health and PTSD and things like that, I've been able to have a greater understanding of exactly what that sacrifice looked like and how that affects people so deeply. And I'm a very big proponent of your mental health is equally as important as your physical health. And I think yeah. it's probably one of the toughest things we still have to break down. I had back in 2013, my partner who I was with for a very long time and knew far beyond our relationship um, succumbed to his battle with mental health. I'm and so sorry. Thank you. And it was another thing in my life that taught me the value of mental health and the importance of my own mental health, understanding my father's mental health, but more importantly, understanding the stigma around it and that not talking about it, it was what everyone's taught. And that the truth is, is that talking about it is the key to really changing things and breaking yeah. down the stigma. So it's interesting how my life and kind of where he came from and the struggles he had became very intertwined when it came to mental health and things like that for me. But you've done something about that. Like, so, you know, having suffered a traumatic experience like that, that many folks do, and thankfully most of us don't have to suffer in that way. Rather than just grieve and move on, you've actually done more things about it. Do you want to expand a bit more around that? Because yeah. it's so eye-wateringly inspiring. Thank you. That's very kind. Yeah. You know, grief is, my goodness, so challenging, right? It's um, It can be beyond overwhelming. And so I think after figuring out how to navigate grief from yeah. a personal perspective, and when I felt like I started to come to a point about 18 months after um, he passed, I was saying, I have to do something. I'm going to take all this and put it somewhere. And had an idea, honestly, very simple idea on World Suicide Prevention Day to ask the masses to post an image of something that's worth living and use the hashtag wow. worth living. Wow. Very simple. Unbelievable response. 25 million hits. Unbelievable. We had the likes of actors, Alec Baldwin, I mean, just people reposting it and sharing it. And we thought, wow, we did Not this something. with yeah. nothing, right? Let's really do something. So we then spent the time evolving it and thought, what can we do to get to the younger people where the problem is really prevalent, but also where you can still change the mindset, right? And people can teach a different way of thinking. So we got together, ideated, and came up with this concept of the Orange Project. And it was the idea of taking an orange post-it note and writing a note of encouragement. And we so literally cold-called and sent packages to schools all over the United States, all over Europe. To engage them, we started to attend LGBTQA events here in New York City. We had a booth at the Pride Parade with the yeah. American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, who became our partners. And we ended up over a year collecting well over 34,000 notes of encouragement through school districts and the letters that we got from teachers saying, what an amazing exercise. I used it as an English lesson. I used it as a science lesson. I used it as a physical health lesson. It was amazing. It's so important because we talk about in this day and age, there's so much negativity and there's so much kind of anger mm -hmm. that actually when you go the other way, with positivity and positive messages, the impact that that can have is just complete. And I was talking to somebody else on another podcast where he goes, Mark, and he said that life was simpler for our grandparents and our parents, et cetera. And I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing because the pressures that young children go through today, when we were children and we left school, we left school. And everyone knows this, but now kids are on all the time. And whether it be social media bullying or text bullying, like the pressures that we're putting young folks onto is amazing. It and, is. And I think what you're doing with Worth Living Dot today is yep, amazing. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. That yeah. is inspiring. And I hope you continue to do a lot more around that. 
It's interesting you say that, Ajit, because one of the reasons why we went to writing a handwritten note was because somebody said, let's make it a digital note. And I said, no, let's bring children back to the simplicity of communication and looking at one another in the eye or writing a note and handing it to someone. Let's remove that kind of social media aspect from it and bring them back to what we grew up with, as you said, that more simplistic way of communicating. I understand you and and I can look you in the eye or I can hand you a note and say how I feel. So that was a very big part of why we did it that way. It's inspiring. And, and, you know, please continue to do as much more work in this area. Coming back to why you came into this industry, seeing where you came from with your military and the New York Cop and your slight rebellious period that we haven't explored that I won't, (laughs) what made you go into our industry? It was a fluke, honestly. I'd always wanted to be a chef. Oh, wow. Um, I had gone to cooking school. My love of, sh- of cooking came from my grandmother, who I had a very close relationship with. I noticed with. you came today empty-handed. I know. I apologize for that. <laughs> I just came back from vacation. Does that get me out of it? <laughs> you look very well sometimes, by the way. Thank but you. I'm, I'm hungry. I want treats next time. <laughs> I will cook for you. I okay. love. I, that's I actually to. what I love to do more than anything. And I think it goes back to the idea of connectivity, Expression. right? Expression. Human yeah. connectivity. For me, there's nothing better than sitting around a table oh, and preparing a meal for your family and your friends and sharing and talking. So the love of that, I thought, oh, maybe I want to be a chef. And then very quickly assessed, it is very challenging to be a chef. It's and tough being a chef. It's yeah. not easy. So I kind of moved into the business side and I was running a restaurant, had an opportunity. So can I cut across you? Because yep. one thing I don't understand is I love food and I love cooking. And when you watch these programs, chopped 20 minutes to cook something, I don't understand. Like, yeah. I love cooking. I'm still washing the ingredients 20 minutes later. Like, how chefs can provide meals that quickly is astonishing. Well, I think that's interesting because that's the thing about cooking that I love. It's probably, I've always said, it is one of the few things I've found in my life where everything else goes away. Because it's, to me, I'm orchestrating. I'm trying to make sure this is ready at the same time this is. I'm trying to make sure the temperature of this is. So, for me, it was... Something familial because it was my grandmother, but it became something for me. And I think that's why I stepped away from becoming a chef because I was worried I would lose all the things I loved about it. Because you make an interesting point because in my own family, and I think the same as yours, there's certain dishes that the grandmothers on both my wife's side and my side, yeah, the grandmothers would make a dish that nobody else can make it in that same way. And you wonder, you get all the ingredients and I've had conversations around that. Is it the pot? Is it the pan? Is it the gas versus the electric? But when Grandmother A makes it, nobody else can make it in the same way. She's the conductor of the orchestra. And it's the same ingredients, the same yeah. food, or whether it's the emotional connection to that that makes it taste differently. And, you know, just for the record, I want whatever your grandmother's favorite dish is. I want to taste it at some point. What is it, by the way? It's so interesting that this is coming up because I literally had dinner two nights ago away. My cousins came over and visited us in Florida. And we had this exact conversation where my cousin was going on about my grandmother's cooking. And so we have a thing in our family. It's called baked macaroni. But all it is is macaroni and cheese. But it is not made the way macaroni and cheese is now. It's made with a roux and very specific cheeses and specific cut of pasta. And so it's quite labor intensive, but it is the thing in our family that – Everybody refers to her as Auntie. That was Auntie's dish, and so that is the one. So I will make that for you, I, can't I promise. Wait. I can't it's wait. It's wonderful. So you didn't go down, and I get it, by the way. It's an interesting observation around, you know, not commoditizing the family passion and love because chefs have to do it, you know, a thousand times over. I didn't want to hate it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. 
I did honestly. That's from my heart. I didn't want to hate it. And how did that jump to being into you know? So they pulled me out of the kitchen yeah. and put me on the floor. <laughs> um, and I was very young, running a restaurant for five years for some friends. Wow. And uh, a woman used to come in every Friday night with her daughter and her her husband, and I would, as the manager, go around, "How are you doing? How's everything going?" She said to me one night, "How old are you?" And you're not allowed to ask that now, but back then nobody cared, right? And I think at the time I was twenty. 25, 24, 25. Yeah. 62. Yeah. So she said, it's fascinating to me that you run this restaurant. Um, you have over, you know, X amount of staff. And There's a theme, isn't there, from your background, like mm -hmm. the organization, the structure, it all works in a uh -huh. restaurant in the same way as it is on a... That's what she yeah. saw. She said, you would be a phenomenal producer. And she came in a week later with a letter typed up. This is 1995, said $35,000 a year with benefits. And I gave my notice on the spot. And there I don't go. know why. I just said, this is it. And stayed with, that was with McCann and stayed with McCann years. for 26 years. Amazing. And it was, that's the thing is that I landed where I was supposed to be because what you just said is exactly what it was. All of the things that made up being able to run a restaurant. Yeah. I mean, it's just natural what a producer does. It, it, it's a it's an incredibly tough business. You know, you've got to have front of office, back of office, accounting, client skills, quality of food skill. Like, it's everything, isn't it? It yeah. really is everything. Speed. Yeah. I say to everybody, you always have to know when to smile and then when to show your teeth. Yeah. You have to be very specific about that. But yeah. it is. It's an art form. And, it's, and, it's orchestrating mm -hmm. a lot of things coming together at the same time, which is what we do. That's what production is, right? So I do believe I ended up being exactly where I should be in a very incredibly basic way. We were blessed to get you. And oh, after, after you. 26 years, choosing to come to TAG and Taylor James is a fantastic coup for us. It really was. We were delighted to have you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not afraid of change. Yeah. And I think for a long time, people were like, well, if you're not afraid of change, why have you been at the same company for 26 years? Well, it's not the same. You know, you've had 17 probably different exactly. jobs and exposures. And I've been here 22 years and I haven't been in the same role right. for more than, a show, you know, like it's just different exposures. That's exactly what my answer is, is I was given opportunity all the time. But when the opportunity came to leave, just like it did back in 1995, it just made sense. It felt right. Ask Urgent Anything! <laughs> so, Jen, thank you so much for being so entertaining. But this is your chance to ask me any questions that you have. So I have two for you. Okay. One will go along the lines of your wine. You don't need to give me an answer now, but I would love a recommendation for your perfect summer white wine. Well, More than anything, I would love that. I can tell you now. Okay, what is it? It'll probably be a, which is I store here now, because I get a Sancerre. Oh, I love a Sancerre. Yeah. There's something about the taste of a Sancerre that I like. But in that Chablis, those are my two go-to. Okay. Great. Yeah, well, we're aligned on the Sancerre, so that's wonderful. <laughs> and then my other question is, People think this is quirky. I have a fascination with people's middle names. I always want to know what someone's middle name is. And the reason is, is be, well, because I feel like it's one of two things. It's either the name your parents really wanted to name you originally, right? Yeah. Or it's a homage to someone yeah. very, very important. And so I love to ask people what their middle names are and I'm gobsmacked, if I may use one of your Brit terms, when <laughs> someone doesn't have a middle name. Oh, wow. Like, I feel like, what a missed opportunity. <laughs> Why do you not have a middle name? And then I try to give people or middle several, names. Or several. Yeah, I've given my friend, my best friend has no middle name, and we, we gave her one. I just <laughs> said, you have to have a middle name. We're just going to give it to you. So I would love to know what your middle name is and what the meaning is behind it. Interesting. So I'm Indian Hindu, and we have a custom 
that basically we don't have a choice, that your middle name is always your father's first name. So my daughter's middle name, regrettably for them, is Ajit C. So my full legal name is Ajit C. And so my daughter's middle name is Ajit C. And so therefore my middle name is my father's first name, which is Mohansi. So I regrettably probably can't recall what my father's name means, but I do know what my name means, what? which I'd like to share because I think it's quite humorous. So Ajit, according to Sanskrit and Google, actually means invincible, cannot be beaten. Well, isn't that fitting? It's <laughs> pretty cool, isn't it? Cool. It's quite fitting, actually. I, I went to my father and said, um, Dad, do you know what this means? Because I looked up in Google and he said, nope, I had no idea. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I think he was teasing me. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. People are always like, why do you want to know my middle no, name? I, I just think it's, it's the coolest thing. curiosity. Yeah. So, Jen, um, in closing, I would just like to say I've learned so much about you. I've enjoyed this. And, you know, you are, again, a wonderful example of what makes TAG and Outbrand TJ such an amazing organization because your passion, your organization, your hunger – and more importantly, your connection to people and trying to do the right thing. So in terms of, I want to make sure I get it right, worth living today is amazing. And you must carry on with that and get all the support from our business to help you. But you bring so much more to our family and to everybody else. Please continue to help everyone that you can. And um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jill. Thank you so much. It's been Cheers, a pleasure. Jill. I enjoyed it. It's a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> Join us soon for another episode of Tag Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara and learn more about the people behind the job titles at Tag.